What's up, everyone? Thanks for coming back to this podcast and checking it out. This is the Ignite Church Answers podcast, a podcast for deeper discussions that go beyond a Sunday morning sermon. Um, my guest for this episode is Cody Weckerly. He's the, the pastor and lead planter at Harvest Plains Church out in Castleton, North Dakota. Welcome, Cody. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. I'm um, excited to have you on. Um, I know we tried to schedule an episode a few months ago and it didn't quite work out, but glad we uh, made it work uh, this month. So this episode today, um, if you haven't guessed yet, is going to focus on how um, on planting a church and basically the big effort uh, behind it and, you know, showing people a little bit of behind the scenes of what it's like to to start a church, you know, completely from scratch. So um, it's something I know you're definitely well-versed in, so I thought you'd be a great addition for this episode, Cody. Well, I'm excited to talk about things. <laughs> awesome. Uh, so I like to start, uh, as everyone knows, with a couple icebreaker questions um, to get to know our guests a little bit better. So I'm going to ask you here a couple uh, right off the bat. So um, you plant churches, but do you also plant plants? Well, you know, what's what does your garden look like at your house? I don't have uh, much of a thriving garden, but I've got some familiarity with the planting process, given okay. that I grew up on a farm in the middle of North Dakota. Really? So, okay. uh, you know, I could, I could plant a plant or two. Okay, sure. Where'd you grow up? Middle of North Dakota, Hertzfield, North Dakota, 23 miles south of Harvey, 48 miles west of Carrington, 84 miles northeast of Bismarck, whatever you want to use All for right. a reference. Yeah, you got to have the, the big city reference, right? Kind of yeah. whatever it is. Uh, okay, great. Um, so next question is, um, have you always known that you wanted to work in ministry? And what else you know, do you think you'd be doing if not this? Yeah, I think every guy's call to ministry is unique. Um Charles Spurgeon is oftentimes quoted on this subject. If you can do anything else and find yourself content with it, right, then then do that uh, rather than ministry. Uh, growing up, I don't think there was a very high view of people in the ministry. Uh, really? I think that pastors had a kind of a disdainful uh, kind of, I, I don't know, just a, a view in, in my house growing up. Interesting. And I uh, grew up in a house of very... Uh, entrepreneurial, hardworking guys. I mean, group of farm On kids, farm, like yep, I said. Yeah. And, you know, I think that the perspective of people in the ministry was kind of like you went into the ministry if you couldn't find anything else to do with your mm. life. And uh, so it actually took, I would say, a great deal of persuading for me to choose ministry. And when I, when I mean persuading, I, I really do mean that sense of the Holy Spirit working in my life to go, you're just not made for anything else. You're not mm. going to be content doing anything else. I think there was a desire to do other things. So persuading on the Holy Spirit side, not necessarily you persuading other people in your life that this is what you want to do. Yeah, yeah right? exactly. And that's kind of where and, my mind first went. Yeah, and, and in God's providence, you know, yeah. I mean, you think about what a call to ministry looks like. God uses the local church to raise up leaders for the local church. Mm -hmm. And the best people to identify someone who's called to ministry and called to eldership and pastoral work uh, happens to be other pastors themselves, right? And in right. God's kindness, he brought men into my life who saw things at times that I didn't even see in myself, right? And they said, hey, uh, we want to invest in you, and uh, guys would take me under their wing. Uh, they would speak into my life. They would uh, at times go, hey, I, I think we see this in you, and obviously just exhort you to faithfulness, because uh, no matter what your gifts are, if you aren't called to holiness, then you still aren't called to ministry. And okay. so, uh, you know, and that's why when we look at the qualifications, right, what's 
listed there in terms of abilities, the ability to teach. Right. Right. Yeah. And then everything else is focused on character. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, like I said, I think it was, uh, for me, it was a process of getting to the point of being called into ministry. I graduated with a finance degree from the University of North Dakota. I got an unexpected phone call one day from Youth for Christ. They said, hey, we're looking for someone to lead our ministry. We don't know what the future holds, but uh, is this a ministry you can see yourself in? And one conversation led to another, accompanied with uh, many different prayers and uh, I eventually became the executive director of Youth for Christ up in Grand Forks. And wow. in that season of life, there were pastor friends that I had, uh, some who said, you know, if if God would allow the opportunity for you to get even more training, uh, we we think you should avail yourself of that opportunity. And in uh, God's kindness, I'd eventually have a man offer to pay for my seminary education if I went out to seminary. And that's something I could never have predicted would ever happen in my whole life. And uh, my wife, you know, so I went to her and said, here's what's on the table. Uh, Here's an opportunity. What do you think about moving out to California? And because of who my wife is, she's like, all right, let's go. Uh, Because she is not afraid of an adventure. Yeah. And... uh, you know, that was that was a very special time in our life. So we went out to L.A. for me to attend the Master's Seminary. We wow. were there three years. Uh, after seminary, went out to Detroit, Michigan, spent four years there as an associate pastor in a, in a very uh, established church. Actually, I think it was the second oldest church in the state of Michigan, started in 1827. Huh. Uh, and while there, you know, God just continuing to use the experiences and people around me to uh, confirm that, you know, this really is where I I feel God is um, is wanting me. Yeah. So so all throughout your life and your childhood and through college, uh, you were a Christ follower, and that's kind of how your name maybe kind of stuck with people around the Grand Forks area to call you to lead that Youth for Christ. Well, movement? I'm definitely an extrovert, so okay. I just love being around people as yeah. many people okay. as I can be. I, I I love just interacting with folks from all different walks of life. Mm-hmm. And uh, sure. when I was at UND, my relationships ended up extending into it felt like every church in the area. <laughs> wow, nice! And uh, it was a really great experience because at that point in my life, uh, you know, I just. In terms of my own background, I I felt like I was a clean slate. I was a blank slate. I didn't grow up in a Christian home. I, you know, again, hardworking entrepreneurial family, uh, but there was no expectation that I would be reading my Bible. I wasn't the kid that was taken to Awana on Wednesday nights, right? Uh-huh. I had, I had just a blank slate, and I felt like I was free to be able to follow the Word of God wherever it led in terms of. Uh, belief and practice. Mm-hmm. And so I never had that fear of like, well, what if I believe this or would I believe that? And so combine that with all these different relationships, and I was able to have these really raw and honest and yeah. open conversations about, oh, yeah. you know, you think this, tell me why you think that and what your experiences were like that led you to that or, you know, whatever right. it ended up being. And so uh, it was a very special time to be with you for Christ. And like sure. I said, that's part of why I got the phone call. People just yeah. knew I was this exuberant guy. I was getting involved in every ministry I could in the local church, whether it was with the worship team, whether it was with the youth ministry, serving in the children's ministry. Mm-hmm. But definitely my interests gravitated in the direction of uh, youth ministry. Oh, great. Yeah. Uh, well, this was going to be a uh, 
church planting episode podcast, but uh, now it's just a get to know Cody. <laughs> I didn't think uh, my icebreakers would go that deep, but I love it. Um, so um, we can dive now kind of into the, uh, the the main meat of the episode, I guess, which is um, talking about, um, you know, specifically we'll start out with your um, with your church plant, um, Harvest Plains. Um, so if you want to just tell, some people might not uh, know a lot about it. Maybe they know it exists, but it's a half hour drive away from Fargo, so it's hard to get to or whatever. But tell us just what Harvest Plains is, you know, how it came to be, um, where you guys meet, the times you meet. You know how you've grown and what the future maybe looks like, um, and also why Castleton, North Dakota. Yeah, well, there's been a little modification in terms of where we gather because okay. we actually recently moved into a permanent location in Mapleton, and so oh, okay. that's part of our story. But in June uh, of this last summer, we moved into a strip mall, and it was uh, dirt floors when we first discovered it. Mm-hmm. We paid to have it all built out and everything, but now we're only a matter of 12 minutes essentially from Easy. any place in Fargo, so Easy. we're a little bit closer. <laughs> Uh, and, and that's really an interesting part of our story because when we planted, like you say, we did plant in Castleton, which Mm -hmm, is a more rural context, a more rural community. Castleton proper has about 3000 people. The school district is about 5,000 people, Mm -hmm. uh, covers many, many miles of terrain, uh, to get that many people in the school district. Uh, and really my heart was to have a church planted in Castleton. And part of how that came about is just that we have personal roots that go into Castleton. My wife Mm. actually graduated from Central Cass. She grew up on a farm up by Arthur, North Dakota, which is about 15 to 18 minutes away from Castleton. Mm -hmm. And we just, as we interacted with people in Castleton, Uh, We knew that there was a large number of evangelical Bible-believing Christians that were driving in to Fargo for their fellowship uh, and uh, involvement with the local church. And so we just thought, well, there there seems to be a need for a Bible-believing, Bible-preaching, gospel-proclaiming church in Castleton. Mm -hmm. And so one thing led to another, and, uh, you know, I, I mentioned how I was in Michigan. Yep. Well, I one year into my ministry in Michigan, because this desire to plant a church in North Dakota was on my heart, uh, I went to my elders and I said, hey guys, I don't know what God has in store, but I just want to be really honest about where my, uh, where my desires are, and I don't want you to think I'm looking to leave you, but you know, my heart really is to plant in North Dakota, and if it would be that that's where God's leading, I want to make sure that, that I have your counsel I want you to speak into my life. Uh, if and when that time comes about, I want your support. And uh, and so they were really gracious. There's some people that perhaps would have uh, listened to someone say that and go, "Well, if you're not if you're not with us long term, then let's just get rid of this guy, move on to the next one." Mm-hmm. Um, but they didn't do that at all, and they understood yeah. that I loved my ministry there at First Baptist of Farmington. But uh, you know, said, "All right, well, well, let's just keep the conversation going and." Let's see what happens. Well, I, at that time, even one year into my ministry, started to at least just make some phone calls to people in the Fargo area, pastors, church planters that I knew of, Mm -hmm. uh, because it was always the desire to be connected to an established congregation to be sent out from that congregation. Right, sure. You know, I think that's uh, helpful to understand because there are different approaches to church planting, right? You have kind of your parachute model where a guy, you know, I don't know, he throws a a dart at a board on a map and all of a sudden it hits a spot and he just says, Hey, I'm going to relocate my family to this community. 
and just start literally with nothing and with nobody uh-huh. and just start gathering people. Uh, I would say that's not the most productive uh, approach to <laughs> church planting. It's definitely probably one of the more risky. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely the riskiest yeah. of all approaches. Uh, you know, And then you have the what I think is the healthiest way to plant a church is when you have an established congregation and you have people perhaps that are commuting from a specific region, and you have enough of those folks that, you know, they're there's an understanding of theology, philosophy of ministry, there's a shared culture, a shared identity, and then you can take a nucleus of people from a church uh, with with the leadership from that church and then plant in another location, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, we, we were neither of those models or we were a combined um, approach of those two models okay. because what we did is, again, we called local church pastors, and we said, hey, we want to plant, and we tried to figure out who do we plant through. Do we plant through Acts 29? Do we plant through Converge? Do we plant through Southern Baptist Convention or NAM? You know? And uh, ultimately, in God's providence, we ended up landing with Converge. And mm-hmm. part of what God yeah. used to bring us conver- to Converge was the fact that I did call Steve Creer, and uh, Steve let me know Ignite was in a place where they were ready to plant a church, and uh, there was built-in trust between Steve and I because Brandon Smith, uh, one of the elders of Ignite, uh, one of the founding elders of Ignite, who's been here forever, yeah. uh, happens to be one of my best friends. And wow. so mm. we went to college together, uh, and uh, I met Brandon just after he got saved and came to faith in Christ. And so uh, when you have those kind of relationships, right, that uh, have uh, you know, relationships, friendships that existed for years, that cultivates trust. And so Steve didn't know me personally, but uh, happened to have a little trust in Brandon and said, right. and Brandon thinks you're good people, I guess you're good people, and we'll, uh, we'll see where things go next. And yeah, wow. in my conversations with Steve, he was, uh, he was very willing and desirous to get involved in the work of planting out in Castleton, felt like there was a need there as well, mm-hmm. was willing not only to provide funding, uh, which many churches actually helped provide funding to the cause, but also said, hey, you know what, we're also going to, you know, we're going to be your mother church, and so that means we're really going to try and get behind you in every way possible, prayerfully, right. financially, and with manpower. And mm-hmm. so they let the congregation know that we were going to be planting a church, and they took volunteers, and they said, is anybody willing to go out to Castleton? And uh, lo and behold, we got five people from Ignite Church, so not a big mm. nucleus, right? Like I said, like it's not a parachute model, but almost was a parachute model, oh, but yeah. we had a few people <laughs> yeah. who came alongside us, and yeah. uh, specifically from Ignite. Uh, but aside from those people, we were making phone calls to Bible-believing Christians in Castleton, and we essentially just asked three questions, and... It was, uh, you know, number one, do you think there's a need for a gospel preaching church in Castleton? Number two, is that a work you'd ever be willing to consider being a part of? And then number three, do you know anybody else who would be interested? And we kind of worked that uh, network, and we compiled a list, and my wife and I actually, this May, will mark five years since we moved to the area. But stage one of the church plant, after compiling this list of people was to begin meeting with those people weekly. And that's something we did starting at the beginning of June. So June, July, August, meeting every week, breaking into ministry-specific task groups. Okay, you're the children's ministry people. 
how are you going to do ministry and what are the policies and procedures that need to be put in place for us mm -hmm. to care for people as we open the doors. Everything, though, in those meetings was focused on, um, half of the meetings was were focused on, or half of our time in those meetings was focused on theology. Who are we? Yep. What do we believe? Why do we do what we do? The second half of those meetings were focused on, okay, how are we going to actually serve people as they come into our church on a Sunday morning? Mm -hmm. And so everything was preparatory for a launch date. And so this group of people that was gathering together weekly, we called it a launch team. Yeah. In church planting, some people, you know, they put together a core group, they call it a core group, we called it a yeah. launch team because mm -hmm. everything had a focus on having a public launch in September 22nd of 2019. And so that's when we had our first public service. We did kind of some monthly, what we would call preview or practice services. Okay. <laughs> you know, we wanted to Make go sure through the, the rhythms. Make sure the machine is running. Yeah, yeah, we wanted to go through the rhythms a little bit yeah. uh, to see what happened. But, um, you know, that, that list of people really was only about 30 people in size when we launched in September of 2019. Uh, you know, our launch service, we had great attendance. I think we had 100, 115 people or something. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, it, it was that was considerable for the size of community that we were in. Yeah. But of course, uh, you know, not a whole lot of people come back when you're doing, when you're launching a new church because a lot of people are just showing up that first, you know, couple of weeks because they're just curious. Yeah. You know, who are these people? Yeah. Right. And uh and in a small town, you have a lot less retention than in a big community because uh well, something new in a big community is interesting. It's cool. Let's check it out. Mm -hmm. Something new in a smaller community is suspicious. Right. Yeah, and okay. and, and that's like yeah, that's like true if you're big not city, in a church small plant. town kind of like mentalities, right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, I mean like recently in Castleton, there was a new hardware store that came to town, right? Mm. And there was there's all sorts of people talking in town like, oh, I can't believe they do this to Rory. Rory's been here for years, and now this new hardware store comes to town. Well, I'm not, yeah. go I'm not going to that. They all I'm take not, it personally. Yeah, they're yeah, like, right. I'm not going to the other hardware store. I'm, like, mm -hmm. cheating on Rory, you yeah, know? Right. <laughs> so, uh, you know, and then when you, you know, with a church, it's almost like you're just assumed to be a cult Okay. for at least, like, I don't know, 15 years. Oh God! <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, uh, people are very suspicious when yeah. it comes to anything religious or connected with the church, right? So, uh, but a anyways, I mean, we went through that first year. Uh, I just can't tell you how miserable it was. It was oh, absolutely no. miserable. Yeah. Uh, uh, well, yeah, I would imagine, you know, you, you know, you always hear about the warm and fuzzies and the positives of everything, but that's another reason for this podcast is to kind of get down into the nitty gritty of stuff and talk about the not super fun things. But so, you know, if you want to dive into some of those kind of areas of struggle or growth, um, you know, unexpected challenges you fl faced, you know, while you were, while you were in the early stages of, of planting this church. And how you kind of overcame those challenges to where you are now, still firmly established in the Mapleton, Castleton communities. Yeah, well, in the first six months of our church plant, it felt like the wheels came off and the axle was dragging. <laughs> oh, no. So, uh, you know, every church planter has nothing but optimism to start with. And you have a lot of hope. You have to have, it, <laughs> you right? have to, And you have to have a lot of faith, right? But because of how many things seem to go right in the planning stages, 
and how many people showed interest in the planning stages and got involved, I felt like I had uh, I had everything going my direction. Uh, even in the first couple of months, there was this older church space. Uh, Lutheran Church had built a new building. They were vacating their old building. It was a fine building. I don't know. It was like 14,000 square feet. Mm-hmm. And they were selling it for like under $200,000. And so we had even people in our church plant that said, hey, we need a space, right? I mean, we can have a permanent location, lickety split. Let's go yeah. and buy this building. What do you think? We'll rent it out to you. And uh, And I said, well... I said, you have to know you assume 100% of the risk, uh, so it can't be a kind of arrangement where we're agreeing to buy it from you. Uh, mm-hmm. We don't know what the future holds for this church. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're only we're only a couple months old at that point. Yeah. Uh, and I tell you, that never did come to fruition, because by the six-month point, uh, the folks that uh, decided to buy the building uh, had decided that we weren't their cup of tea. And uh, Oh, really? Uh, uh, there was definitely a disagreement when it came to, uh, I would say, more than anything, really comes down to your philosophy of ministry. And that's what's uh, really helpful to understand in any local church. You can agree theologically with people, and that's an important starting point. Uh, But then you have to make the jump to how your theology informs your practice. And uh, Mm -hmm. a lot of people really haven't thought about how theology informs practice. Uh, we know that beliefs are important, particularly gospel truths. Right? You have to understand that you're a sinner in need of a Savior, that Jesus is that Savior. He yeah. is fully God. He's fully man. He was uh, put to death for our sins and raised three days later according to the Scriptures, right? Like, all of that is... Yeah. That's like the baseline. Yep, uncompromising truth, right? Yep. But then that's how all the different branches off of baseline Christianity and the gospel are, you know, are about now, right? It's all these different branches and all these different theologies, but we're all Christian, but we're all still believing slightly different things and how and how our church teaches those things. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, one big question you're always asking as a church is how do we protect the uh more foundational truths of the church and even church governance and and those kind of things are important. But how do we how do we care about all doctrine and all theology, but also not uh, be screening gnats out of the church. You know, we want the door to be big enough that Christians come in, and we want the door to also be exclusive enough that we're not that there's unity mm-hmm. in right. terms of your practice as well. And so, you know, what what sure. what we had decided, or what I had decided, that in terms of just the interviews that I had had with other church planters and other church plants, and that I had observed, that it just seemed uh, that it was really helpful to have. And and I kind of took this from. Uh, Bethlehem Church, John Piper's church. So they have two different statements of faith, okay? They have a statement of faith for the members, which ends up affirming those more foundational doctrines. And so you're lowering the bar, in a sense, and you're saying, like, hey, are you saved? Do you love Jesus? Okay, guess what? You're welcome to be in the church. Mm -hmm. But then there was a second statement of faith that covered some other doctrines that uh, spelled out, uh, these are things that the leadership of this church hold to. And so you can be a member without agreeing with the leadership document, mm-hmm. but you also enter the church understanding what you're going to hear on a Sunday morning and what the beliefs of the leaders are. Yeah. And so, you know, at least with our church plant, you know, I, I came in planting a church having already spent seven to 10 years of my life in ministry, three years in seminary, right? And so I knew what I believed. 
Mm-hmm. And I was able to tell people up front, this is what I believe, this is who I am, and you don't have to agree with everything that I believe, but you need to just know that this is what I believe, this is what you're going to hear taught on Sunday morning, and if you do disagree with me, then just, just you know, don't be divisive mm-hmm. in the church. Right. Don't rip apart relationships. Uh, don't try and create another church within the church or right. whatever, you yeah, know? Yeah, sure. And uh, at least with the with this group of people, and and it was interesting because, like I said, we had five people come from Ignite, so we had a small group of people that were driving from Fargo, and then the other folks were actually from the small town community that had been uh, brought together through those cold calls. Right. Sure. Well, certainly, I entered this church plant thinking that the church was going to revolve around the rural folks, the people from this community, right? Mm-hmm. But one thing I quickly discovered is that the the, the folks that lived in the rural community, uh, they just weren't philosophically and theologically as uh, you know aligned with me as the others were. And so what ended up happening is, like I said, by six months in, uh, they decided they wanted to leave. And I would say that there were two particular issues that came to the fore. Uh, number one... Uh, you know, I'm unashamedly a Calvinist, okay? Okay. But I don't go throwing around that label in my preaching. You will, you can search all my sermons. I've never once, you know, preached Calvinism mm-hmm. because I just want to preach the Bible. And I'm, yeah, I'm persuaded that uh, Calvin had a biblical view of God's sovereignty and salvation. Fine, we can agree to disagree. You know, yeah, right. depending on where you're at, but that's where I'm at. Uh huh. Um, well, these people weren't necessarily against Reformed theology. They just thought you shouldn't explicitly teach about God's sovereignty and salvation. And to me, because of the training I had received, because of the seminary I attended, I only know how to teach one way, and that is to teach with clarity. You know, to Mm -hmm. go verse by verse through the Bible, but just to teach blanket generalities of things, but not actually spell out this is what is meant by the text. That's just not that's not who I am. That's not how I was trained. Mm-hmm. Uh, every every word you come to is important, right? Syntax, uh, uh, lexical definitions. I mean, all of these things come to bear. And so, uh, you know, I, that's, that's all I've tried to do is I've just tried to be faithful with the text. But then the clearer you try to become, the more you separate one idea from, from another. And yeah. they could feel that. They could feel that that was different, even when it came to, uh, you know, men and women and their involvement and roles within the church. You know, these are really important matters, I think, that there needs to be clarity about. And so I have always just tried to approach things very transparently, and, uh, you know, that's there's going to be a rub there. Okay? Yeah. The clearer you try to be, again, you're going to separate one idea from another. And so... Yeah. I guess those people, they just felt like they had a kind of a, they had a philosophy behind them that was really like, hey, within the church and on Sunday mornings, you really, uh, it's okay to have views, but you shouldn't, uh, you shouldn't share all those views. Mm -hmm. It was kind of like, you should try not to take positions on theology and doctrine, because the Mm -hmm. more you take positions, it divides. And so they, they felt that the approach was kind of divisive. Okay. So, you know, um, they left. Um, a month, two later, uh, well, it would have been, yeah, a month later, COVID hit. It yeah, was like, right. if it was, yeah, if it so was So you talk about the wheels falling off and the axle dragging. Right, yeah. Uh, we went from 
60 people, because after we launched, you know, that was probably our retention. We had consistently about 60 people coming on a Sunday. Then all of a sudden that number dropped to 15. Yeah. Okay. I was going to guess like 10, but yeah, sure. <laughs> 15. Yeah. And, uh, you know, COVID hit. Mm-hmm. Some Sundays we had five people showing up. And uh, at that point I was in such a rut, you know, because I, I, I actually, uh, like I said, I'm extroverted and I got a wide network of friends. Mm-hmm. And so even as strongly as I might um, believe on certain issues, um, I have a great deal of like room in my life for people who disagree with me. Mm-hmm, sure. Um, but I, I was so, I was in such a low place, right? And you just second guess every decision. Like, what did I do wrong? Did I, did I do something wrong? And, and, uh, you know, I just was surrounded by amazing people in spite of how small we were, those people come, came around me and they said, Hey, we don't think anything's broken here. We don't think anything's wrong. Keep doing what you're doing. Mm-hmm. I had people on the outside of our church plant go listen to my sermons and teaching, and they're like, just, just keep doing what you're doing. Right. We don't think anything's wrong here. Yeah. Um, it was something that was out of your control, but had to, <laughs> we all had to live with it, right? Yeah, <laughs> for sure. And the thing is, is in church planting, and this is a statistic that I heard. Okay, I couldn't tell you where it came from. Yeah. Uh, but the rule of thumb is by year two, over half the people that you planted a church with, that original planting group is gone. Mm-hmm. And it's all brand new people, essentially. Because, yeah. you know, people enter a church plant. You don't know what you don't know, but plenty mm-hmm. of people want to be part of a church plant because in their mind, they're going to they're gonna be able to craft the vision of that church and the, mm-hmm. and the beliefs of that church. And, you know, that's, that's not actually how things work. Right. If you're, when you're planting... There's for sure one person who holds the vision, and it's the church planter. Right. And if you can get behind that vision, then then you should. But if you're not 100% behind that vision, then do not jump into a church plant. Yeah. Uh, because it's not—decisions are not made by group consensus, okay? Mm-hmm. And I would say even when you look at the early church, okay, if we're just thinking biblically, how did the apostles plant churches? They sent out a couple of guys to go preach the gospel, went one community from another. God saved people through the message of the gospel. All of a sudden, people are gathering. The ecclesia is formed in that community, Mm -hmm. and you have people gathering for worship and living out the one another's. And then after that, what happens next? Then you can look at Titus. Titus is left on the island of Crete. Paul says, I want you to stay on the island of Crete and put in order what remains there. And I want you to appoint elders in all the churches. So first order of business after a congregation is formed in a community is you appoint elders. Mm-hmm. You appoint leaders. Yeah. And so leaders lead. That's what they do. Um, and we won't go down the road of polity too much, but that was, that was kind of the vision I had in mind of, you know, first uh, a church is planted by one or two guys, mm-hmm. and then from there you add to the leadership team. But yeah. uh so that was uh, that was a huge trial. Like I say, six months in, losing all those people. Yeah. One month later, having COVID hit. But I did just listen to the encouragement of the people around me. And when they said, we don't think it's broken, keep going, that's what I tried to do. Yeah. And in, in great, unexpected providence, 
uh, one person as the COVID restrictions would go away. And as we started to gather in person, which was, we only paused for about a month or so, but as we started to meet again, man, people would show up. I think I was pretty negative. I was like, not expecting they'd ever come back. Like, what do we have to offer you? Like, we got no thriving children's ministry or youth ministry or all these silo ministries. Like, we've got a really simple ministry. We've got mm-hmm. a few people who love Jesus, love the Bible, love each other, mm-hmm. you know? <laughs> right. <laughs> but uh, all of a sudden, one person would come, they'd stay. Another person would come, they'd stay. Another person would come, they'd stay. And to me it really revealed to me how backwards my thinking was when it came to church planting, because everything, uh, the whole approach that we took was was to gather critical mass, right? The idea was to meet, have that launch service in September 2019, have enough people where you've got momentum, right? But you need what people talk about as a critical mass, you know, yep. critical mass, 50, 60 people, and then all of a sudden there's momentum there. Yep. And it, it just it builds off itself. Well, to me, one thing that I learned was that slow growth is healthy growth. Yep, for and, sure. And that's so hard. It's so hard for us to accept because we want yeah. we want instant Immediate results. results yep. Oh my oh, goodness, yeah. man. We want <laughs> oh, instant results. And so we think to ourselves, this isn't my phrase. I picked this up uh, listening to some church planting podcast. I wish I could give credit for it. But <laughs> the guy said on that podcast, he said, you know what church planters want? Is we want things, um, we want things, big things, famously done as fast as possible. Yeah, right. Big things, famously done as fast as possible. And I thought, yep, that's true. Mm-hmm. You know, and that that can be applied to every area of our lives. Yeah. But that's the flesh, and we think that we have full control and power to bring about the results. And we tend to get really pragmatic. Unfortunately, this is a danger. Is we think to ourselves, what works. And you have to abandon that thinking if you want to be faithful. The, the guide to faithfulness is that you're looking at the Bible and you're saying, how do we put into practice what God has said? The, the marching orders for the church are pretty simple. Go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and doing what else? Teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. Mm-hmm. So faithfulness comes down to teaching the Word of God and living out the Word of God, right? Um, Preaching and practicing the Word of God. And so it's about loving people, yes, it's about, uh, you know, but as far as these, there's so many gimmicks that you can get caught up in the uh, church planting world with, and you just have to say, like, the timeless, enduring principles of church planting uh, are all there in the Bible for us. And, uh, and that's what I discovered. I mean, for, for some, being explicit and trying to teach with clarity the Word of God was uh, something they didn't care for. But then what I, what I noticed is that there's such a longing for that right now. And people want conviction. They want clarity. And they're, they're looking for a place that they can go and find something that is enduring, uh, something that's not gimmicky, something that's authentic. Right, mm-hmm. And so that's what we've always been striving for, even in terms of the way that we do worship on a Sunday morning, right? And, and these are questions church planters have to ask, like, what do we want the experience of a Sunday morning to be? And we right. took the road where it was like, hey, this wasn't going to be a fog and light show. We wanted there to be gravity. We wanted there to be Christ-exalting worship, mm-hmm. right? We wanted there to be an unashamed 
focus on him. Mm -hmm. right. uh, and so that's the approach we took. And even in terms of our liturgy, we did some things that are maybe more traditional, not, uh, not real popular today. We have a, a prayer of confession built into our order of service. You know, a time of somebody going up there and on behalf of the congregation going, Lord, we're so hopelessly lost without you. We're so sorry that we've sinned against you. We're so sorry that we've rebelled against you this week mm -hmm. in these specific ways. And, uh, you know, historically, there's a reason that liturgies have had a prayer of confession in them, because the entire service is set up to reflect the gospel, beginning first with that call to worship that's focused on the holiness of God, seeing your sin after you see the holiness of God, that's where the prayer of confession comes out, and then after that, you celebrate the atonement of Christ and the uh, the sufficiency of His blood shed for sinners. So, um, anyways, that's getting into some, some <laughs> other elements, yeah. but... Uh, you know, these are things that we decided to focus on, and as we saw people come and experience our worship, they wanted to come back because I guess they felt like they found something that was simple, right? There was something about a worship service that was simple. It was, it was timeless. It was biblical. It, it had clarity. It had sincerity. It had all these uh, different mm -hmm. marks to it, and so... Um, that's a little bit about the ups and downs, and yeah. in, in a God's providence now, we've got uh, over 80 members. We've got approximately 160 people on average that are worshiping with us. Wow. And nice. so there's yeah. just absolutely no way we could have expected that we would go from year one and eventually land to, to four and a half years down the road where we now have a permanent location, because mm -hmm. right. I, I looked at our worship leader, and he looked at me, and I, I think we both saw, thought the same thing in the first year, where it's just like, we're done. Like, this thing is going to be over <laughs> It's really been a fun quickly. ride. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, it's, we thought it was over before it even began. Yeah. Um, yeah, I can't imagine from, you know, first service being, you know, plus 100, triple digits of people, right? And then, you know, you expect a little bit of a teeter off, and then, you know, 50, 60 people, COVID hits, down to five people, and then, you know, four years later, here you are with, you know, a consistent almost 100 now back again. So that's amazing. Yeah, that's... That's really cool to hear. Yeah, and I think, you know, I, I definitely feel affirmed that we went the right direction, and I think church planting today, uh, you just can't say enough about clarity. Be clear about who you are, mm -hmm. and, and don't hide who you are, and, you know, don't be ashamed of who you right. are. It's, it's, just be upfront with people, like, right. hey, it, I love you. I was just about to say that. It's <laughs> about, like, being upfront right away, because if you're trying to hide pieces of yourself, then the people that come in and figure out those things you were trying to hide anyway are going to leave anyway. Yeah, you don't want so, people six months in after they've built all these really close right. friendships and relationships and they're involved in life groups and right. Bible studies, all of a sudden they go, you guys believe what? Yeah, all of a sudden they realize that and it's like, then it's like awkward or something. But yeah, to to be upfront in what you believe right away, to to get the people to come that, like you said, are going to have unity within the congregation. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's why we've seen so much longevity with the people who have joined us, because, uh, you know, they've been able to go like you've been, you're the same today as you were when we came. Mm -hmm. You know, nothing about you's changed. Uh, we have confidence in who you are, and, you know, it also allows you, once you've stated who you are and what you believe, when you have that kind of unity, you can really get to just caring for people. And there's not yeah. kind of inner disunity and disputes going on about what do we believe? 
Well, no, if you've, you've already ironed that out, then you can focus on the people yeah. and you feel like you're able to move, float down a stream together Yeah. Mm. rather than fight against the current of yeah. disagreement. Exactly. So you've talked about, you know, the challenges you face, especially kind of in that first year. And it's funny, I didn't hear you mention at all, you know, technical difficulties or people get, you know, typos on the pamphlets that you're handing out or anything like that. <laughs> yeah. But like, but it's, but it was, it was more, you know, in depth and, you know, things you wouldn't have thought about. I mean, COVID was one thing and no one expected, but, um, but still it's kind of, it's nice to, I guess is nice, the wrong word, but it, but it's, it's interesting to hear that those are kind of some of the, the challenges that, that church planters are facing and they're not so maybe so much worried about, you know, the, the perfect order of the service or what songs and is the, are the mics on, you know, do the mics accidentally turn off on one of the worship songs or something like that. But like, um, ironing out those things, which I'm sure you kind of did during those first, you know, few services you did, but, um, but that's really, that's encouraging to hear that you kind of had, you know, all those little minutia things, you know, figured out or, or at least tried to have those as figured out as possible before, you know, really launching hardcore into what you're doing now. Yeah. And I mean, you got to work, you got to think about the practical aspects and you don't want to have technical, you know, glitches right. and all these other things that you're dealing with. Yeah. But those things come along with just, they're going to happen. Yeah. Like right. no matter what stage of the life of a church, right, you're going to have mm -hmm. those things. Uh but those those small kind of glitches or problems that you encounter reveal a lot about people. And uh, if those end up becoming big issues or points of divisiveness within your church, they really communicate a lot about your spiritual maturity and your spirit-mindedness, mm -hmm. you know, because spiritually-minded people uh, who are concerned about the more important matters of are we being faithful to the Lord, are we loving Him, are we loving Jesus, right? Uh, if, if people's... Uh, mindset is focused on those things, and uh, all of a sudden, those are just really, really small bumps, mm -hmm. right? right? When you hit these other, and they're really easy things yeah. to work through. Sure. Um, so, um, you know, not looking so much into the past and the challenges anymore. Looking towards the future, you know, what does what does the future, maybe immediate or close future, look like for um, uh, for Harvest Plains, and how can you know? ignite and your and your your parent church or even you know the other people listening how can we pray for that future for you yeah great question uh you know we just recently taught through deacons and when we approached planting harvest plains church like i said my template for planting i tried to take from the bible and as i could see things again a planter goes out a congregation is formed and next step is elders are appointed and so we tried to follow that template at year one, we implemented biblical membership, right? So we covenanted into membership at our first birthday. At our second birthday, we implemented elders. We have, now we're coming up on five years, we still don't have deacons. And when you look at the New Testament, it's clear that two offices exist for the local church, the office of elder and the office of deacon. And you can mm. especially notice that in First Timothy 3, and then Philippians 1 starts off the introductory of the letter, mentions those two offices as well. As well. Uh, so we we knew like hey we're at a point we have a congregation we got elders but we need deacons and so we preached the series on deacons and now we are looking to implement our deacon ministry mm -hmm. now you can't have a church functioning well unless you have people doing deacon things focusing on practical needs within the community of the church right okay um, because that allows the elders the pastors to focus on the ministry of the word and prayer 
And Acts 6 is a good example, right? The early church, you had the widows, and there was a dispute going on uh, where one group of widows was being neglected, and they're like, hey, you know, we, we expect to be taken care of here too, and there was a problem. Well, what happens? Uh, Stephen, uh, you know, seven good men, full of the Spirit, of good repute, are appointed to take care of the widows so that the apostles, they say, specifically could focus on the ministry of the Word. And so that's a, you know, you can't have a healthy, functioning, Word-focused ministry without people doing deacon-like things. Mm-hmm. And so we finally got to the point where, like, well, we've had people doing deacon-like things. Now let's make sure that we recognize those people and the work that they do. And so in the next uh, four or five months, we're going to be sitting down with folks, going through the process. Uh, the congregation is going to help us recognize who uh, is doing deacon-like a work within our church. Yeah, We're going to sit down with those individuals, go through the qualifications. Do they feel qualified to serve as a deacon? Are they okay taking that title? Why we're going to give them a title, all those things, and then we'll vote on on those deacons. But, yeah. uh, you know, and then once that's done, I, I kind of feel like the real, really the foundation of the church has been laid. And the next phase of our ministry, we're just focusing on how do we make sure we don't get complacent? Mm-hmm. We're in this like new stage of stability. We have a building. Like when you plant, all you're thinking about is, oh, we need to, like, the building is very quickly part of the discussion, right? Like, yeah. when are we going to be in a building? Almost everybody is asking that question. Mm-hmm. When are we going to have a building? Where are we going to meet in the future? And right. it's like, okay, well, we know where we're gathering. We have a building. We have incredible uh, leaders, deacons, elders. How do we make sure that we remain faithful now? and we don't get stagnant, mm-hmm. right? There's something good about being in a place of need. Yeah, There's something difficult about being in a place of sufficiency, right? Because our hearts are prone to self-sufficiency and self-trust. And it's like, we just want to stay away from there. We want to stay desperate for the Holy Spirit to work. We want to stay desperate for God uh, to, to provide what we need. And if we get into the place of thinking like, hey, we got everything we need because of uh, because of who we are and the abilities that we have and the theology that we have. Or man, we're we're gonna be we're gonna be so lost, you know. And so we just want to stay hungry uh, for for the Lord. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Um, so uh, as we kind of uh, wrap up here. Um, I want you to remind people when and where Harvest Plains meet, um, so we can, uh, you know, if if more people are listening and want to come check you out, where can they where can they come and find you? You can find us in Mapleton, North Dakota. You can find out more information at HarvestPlains.org. Again, that's HarvestPlains.org. We meet at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings. We do uh, not serve coffee right away. That you got to wait till <laughs> after the service. There's great fellowship afterwards and coffee and treats and all that. But you might need to bring your own coffee to start the, start off. The morning. <laughs> okay, sure. <laughs> That's totally fine. Um, this has been wonderful, Cody. Thank you for sitting down. And I wanted to kind of go back now that I'm thinking about it. That um, what you were just kind of talking about with like trying to get your your future plans and your um, deacons now kind of established. All of those things that you're mentioning up to this point are. Um, you know, those slow growth, healthy growth moments, right? You think church plant, we need to have elders set up right away. We need to have deacons set up right away. We need to have a space right away. You know, we need to have people right away. You know, otherwise we can't start. But, you know, you're saying, you know, no, you don't need all of that right away. You can 
slow grow into getting elders and getting the deacons and things like that. It's because you say, okay, now the foundation is set. Well, it's been five years. You know, that's a that's a long time for just the foundation, right? So that's yeah. so that's um, you know, you got to look at a really big, larger picture for sure to to look at the future health of a church. Yeah, I I think it's so important to help people understand that culture eats strategy every single day of the week. <laughs> so you can have this big grand plan put out there and you can be the best planner in the whole wide world, but it really comes down to who you are at the end of the day. And that's contagious. Are you a person who loves people? Can they sense that you genuinely just want to follow Jesus and help them follow Jesus? Mm-hmm. Okay. There has to be a community of trust yeah. and interdependency going on. And trust is everything in a church plant, right? It's like, can we trust in you? Uh, can we trust in the direction that you're going? Can we trust the person that you are? And so, um, you know, that's why I said, and, and that's why I'm not surprised when you look in First Timothy 3 and you go, who's qualified to be an elder? First question we have to ask is, who is that person? Mm-hmm. In the inner being of that person, what is their character like? Yeah. Because culture will eat strategy every day of the week. That's a that's a great saying. I've never heard that saying, but I love it, and I, and it's I'm sure it's true in uh, you know all areas of life, not just church planting for sure. Um, so, 10 a.m. Sundays, Mapleton, North Dakota. Check yep. out check out Harvest Plants. Thank you so much, Cody. Um, it's been a pleasure getting to know you a little bit deeper. I know we kind of just met in person, but we've been texting a little bit before this, but great to meet you in person. Um, And you as the listeners, remember to keep listening as we dig deeper into topics that go beyond a Sunday morning. For the Ignite Church Answers podcast, I'm your host, Craig Cusick. And Cody, at the end of each uh, podcast episode, we do it. We do it at the end of every uh, Ignite service, which is to say their mission statement. So if you want to Say the second part of the mission statement. If you if you know it, do you know the encounter God impact the world? Yep. All right. Yeah. So I'm gonna say the first part, and then you'll say the second, and we'll head out of here. Right. All right. Encounter God impact the world.